never preached a sermon about what it means to be a Christian and a patriot or a Christian and a citizen. And so I think a lot of people have a wide variety of opinions about what that means. I have a lot of opinions about that myself. Uh, So I went back to Scripture, and I've done a little bit of studying for the last couple weeks, and I want to talk about people of freedom this morning and what it means. And we're going to actually use uh, Peter's uh, first letter uh, to look at some verses there. But just if I say the word Christian patriot, what comes to your mind? What images come up? And maybe uh, that you think about you're supposed to vote, and you're supposed to be very careful to make sure that, that you always exercise your freedom uh, at the ballot box to make sure that, that your voice uh, is heard. It might be that you, uh, that you go, if we could keep this thing scrolling along, it might be that you think about a party affiliation. You know, you've got the, the elephant, the Republicans, the, the donkey Democrats. You might think, you know, being a, being a Christian means I affiliate myself with a particular uh, political philosophy. It could also mean uh, that you think about supporting our troops. You think about uh, looking out for them. Again, if we can back up just a bit. I think we're having a couple of issues on how this thing's scrolling along, but maybe you, you saw, there you go. Well, it doesn't want to, doesn't want to cooperate. Those soldiers are busy marching. They don't have time to, they don't have time to, to, uh, to stop. Okay, it's just gone blank completely. Good. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll manage, we'll manage right along. I think a lot of guys have actually preached over the generations without a screen, so I'm guessing that maybe we can, maybe we can make it happen. Maybe you think about supporting our troops. It's watching the Cardinals game. I think it was either last night or, or I know it was the night before. And they had a live feed to, to the Missouri National Guard guys that were serving over in Afghanistan. And they interviewed the commander. And that, you just think that was, that was pretty cool. And maybe you think about that when you think of patriotism. And maybe that, that you think about just making sure your voice is heard. Maybe being in the public square and being involved on some level, uh, whether you're protesting something or affirming something. Uh, there's a lot of ideas that come to mind when we talk about the connection between uh, our faith and being a citizen of a country, and in our particular circumstances, being a citizen uh, of the United States. Uh, the question is, is there really a connection? Is there some direction for disciples of Jesus when it comes to our citizenship? And I believe that there is. And there are several passages in Scripture. Actually, at some point, we're going to come back to this, because in Romans, uh, in the latter chapters of Romans, Paul actually addresses this in chapter 13. Uh, so we'll come back to it. But for our purposes this morning, I want to look at First Peter. I'm going to read just a couple of verses out of chapter 1, and then several verses uh, out of chapter 2, as we consider what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to be a citizen. Beginning in chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 5, and then we'll skip over to chapter 2. Hear the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then skipping ahead to verse 13 of chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
This is the reign of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again this morning for the freedom in which we stand. Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us the opportunity to speak uh, with a free voice the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word this morning that we would uh, do so with a desire and a longing to, uh, to love you because you have first loved us. Lord, we are not citizens of heaven by right. We are citizens of heaven because of mercy, because of grace, because of compassion. We do not deserve your love. We are a people who, as, as Isaiah described, have gone their own way. We have turned others away from you. Lord, our initial heart's inclination, apart from the work of your spirit and your word, is to, is to run in the opposite direction, to want to have nothing to do with you. So, Lord, we cannot boast this morning of our citizenship in heaven. Rather, we praise you for it, because without your grace, we are lost. Father, with that freedom, you have called us to live in community with one another and to live in this world in this community, in this day and age, in this generation, our lives in a way that would bring glory to Christ and would edify and would encourage and would strengthen our nation. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make your will clear to us this morning. My philosophy, my ideas, my words are irrelevant. Uh, They are temporal at best. They're fleeting. Father, it is only your eternal word that stands forever and is that word upon which we now want to center our hearts and our minds as we worship you with our intellect. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of teaching your people this morning. We pray that you would come and reveal your will to us. We pray in your name. Amen. I think Peter uh, gives us some great insights into citizenship and uh, without any political persuasion. Uh, Peter, Peter was uh, not affiliated with any particular party. Uh, he was affiliated with the kingdom of God, and he, and he speaks accordingly. And I think it's with a great deal uh, of wisdom that we pay attention to his words and, and to understand what God is uh, speaking to us, because I believe what he wrote some 2,000 years ago has great application for us right here this morning in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, as most of us, uh, maybe everyone in this room, a, a citizen of the United States. Uh, The first thing I want to point out, I have five observations about this passage of Scripture. The first one I want to point out is that Peter calls us to know our primary loyalty. Look at verses 3 through 5 again, and we're just going to kind of bullet point them uh, on the on the page, but I'm going, to, I'm going to read those verses to you one more time. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Uh, and I've pulled out just a few bullet points here about, uh, about some things we need to understand when we look at who is due our, our primary, primary loyalty. Uh, Peter says you're born into a living... Uh, someone who's born doesn't have any any choice about the family they're born into. And, and as, a, as a believer, uh, we're born into a living hope by God's decision, by God's design of salvation. He's the one who calls us. He's the one that identifies us as his children. 
Uh, and so our family loyalty, because we've been made alive through Christ Jesus, because we're adopted sons and daughters, belong to God first and foremost. How do we know that? Well, Peter says we have a guarantee. There's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, we have an eternal promise from Jesus that our never-ending identity is going to be as a child of God, both in this age and in the age to come. Our earthly citizenship may be temporary, but the, the citizenship within the kingdom of God is perfect, including its scope. It's, it is eternal in nature, and it's kept in heaven. It, it's guarded through faith. It's ready to be revealed. In other words, we're living in a time that theologians call the now but not yet. Are you a child of God now through Christ Jesus and his mercy? Yes. Have you fully experienced all that that citizenship brings? No. You haven't even begun to see and to experience. Uh, We will see so much more uh, when we're united with Christ. But for the time being, it's guarded. It's, It's ready to be revealed in God's timing, which means that that we must have a perspective that's built upon patience. We must understand that that every person in this room might die before the second coming of Jesus, that we might not live to see that glorious day. And yet at the same time, we know that our hope is secure. And that calls us to a loyalty first and foremost to the God of mercy who has saved us. And I believe that, that knowing where my first loyalty lies, it clarifies a great deal for me. I'm not, a, I'm not a dad first. I'm a disciple who is also a dad. I'm not a pastor first. I'm a disciple who happens to be a pastor. I'm not a husband first. I'm a disciple who is also a husband. I'm not a citizen of the United States first. I'm a disciple of Jesus who also finds his citizenship in this day and age in the United States of America. And I believe knowing where my first loyalty uh, lies clarifies a lot of things for me because I look at life now through the lens of Scripture. I look at life now through the lens of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I saw a bumper sticker the other day, and I really hope this wasn't on one of your cars because <laughs> I'm not going to paint this in a real positive light. had three words on it, Christian or Democrat, question mark. If that was on your car, I would plead with you to take it off because this person has confused their loyalties. Your loyalty is not to a political party, first and foremost. Your loyalty isn't to a nation, first and foremost. Your loyalty isn't to an ideology, first and foremost. Your loyalty is to the Lord Jesus, to the one who said, love your enemies, pray for those who are against you. They may be against you politically, but your calling is to offer compassion and grace and mercy and not a condescending and belittling tone. Much of the rancor in our nation, I believe, is put upon us by really well-meaning people who have forgotten where their first loyalty lies, their first loyalty, their primary primary loyalty is to be a disciple of Jesus. That leads us, I believe, to developing appropriate perspective on things. Look at chapter 2, now verses 13 through 14. Peter calls us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Notice the order in which Peter speaks. Be subject to the government. Why? For the Lord's sake. 
That's what you need to see here if we're, if we're going to have a proper perspective on this, an appropriate perspective. My submission to Christ is my first and highest calling. And because he directs me to submit to those in authority, I do so as part of my trust in him. My faith in my government can ebb and flow. My trust in my elected officials can, can move back and forth depending on decisions they make with which I agree or with which I disagree. And some of them I may, I may disagree with them vehemently, but my trust in my government is not based on, on believing that we have the best and the brightest and the most intelligent folks running the government. My faith in my government is based upon and founded in my faith in my God. It's the foundation for my civil life. So belonging to Jesus controls my thoughts and my words and my action and my citizenship. Um, I, I always should remember when I, when I preach a sermon like this, something's going to happen to test me in this area before I give, ever get up to preach a sermon. And sure enough, that happened. The, uh, w- there's some work being done in our backyard. We're doing some grading and, and uh, a guy a couple houses over has torn down a house and he's building a house and he's kind of grading his part. And he said, hey, I can help yours too. And so he started doing some work on ours. Well, the city of Kirkwood showed up and they had some questions about my backyard. And three of them showed up on one day. In two different trucks, very official-looking trucks, city of Kirkwood. And so I'm out in my backyard or in the side yard, and we're talking. Uh, and, and as the conversation is going on, they're telling me things that I haven't done and things that I've done wrong. And, and they're, they're, they're saying it like they have the authority to say it. And I found out they do. <laughs> I had to go spend some money on a permit. I had to, I had to put in a, a, a silt fence. I had, to, I had to spend some money. I had to, I had to submit to the authorities over me. And, and, and while I'm having this conversation with them, two thoughts are going through my head. Bite your tongue. That's the first thought that's going through my head. The second thought that's going through my head is you, the first time you're on the cover of the Webster Kirkwood Times ought not be when you're in a pair of handcuffs being led away for having salted a city official. That just isn't how you want to go about it. Because I'm a disciple of Jesus whether it's obeying a law, like doing my backyard the right way, running for office, supporting a particular candidate, doing it for the Lord's sake is the proper lens through which to look. That, that appropriate perspective based on my primary loyalty is going to lead me to be a better citizen. My third observation is that we are called to be a living lesson of grace. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God. This is God's design for you, is what Peter's saying. This is part of the master plan of your life, that by doing good, and that, that phrase doing good, he's directing to the government. He's not talking about a general doing good. He's talking about citizenship here. He's talking about our activity in our civil life. That, that as our civil life is done well, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The Holy Spirit is saying through, through the Apostle Peter as we honor God with exemplary citizenship, we bear witness to his grace. We bear witness to his mercy. We bear witness to the fact that we are disciples of Jesus who himself, when he was on earth, submitted to the earthly rule over him. You can read passages like Matthew 17. Or Matthew 22, Matthew 17, Jesus not only affirms the tax, we see uh, him paying the tax for he and Peter. And in chapter 22, uh, he's being, uh, he's being uh, tempted by or trying to be tricked by the Pharisees. Uh, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? 
You know, we're the chosen people of God. We're the nation of Israel. We shouldn't pay tribute to anybody but, but God himself. What does Jesus do? He says, give me a coin. Give me a piece of currency. Whose picture's on there? Caesar's. Okay. So if you're a citizen of heaven, you will give to Caesar what is Caesar, and you will give to God what is God's. The Lord Jesus himself is an instrument of God's grace in that moment, talking about the importance of us to honor the human institutions that are over us. I already mentioned in Romans 13 that Paul instructs us to do likewise. And doing good towards a government, it may test our heart from time to time. It may even test our faith from time to time. But in doing so, we affirm God's mercy for all to see. It was interesting that uh, interaction that I had with those folks who had come to do the inspection. Uh, there were two guys and a gal. And about halfway through the conversation, the gal said, you're the son of that nice woman that lives in that house right there. I said, yeah, she really is the nice one in the family. That's, that's very true. But her witness had gone before her, as had her chocolate chip cookies, which helped me quite a bit. Am I a living lesson of grace in my citizenship? My fourth observation is, is with this freedom, Peter tells us, comes an enormous responsibility. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see, there's an application to this grace which we have received. We don't just uh, come into the kingdom of God by mercy and then ignore the world around us. Peter says, remember that, that you're free, which means at one time you were slaves. At one time we were under the burden and the yoke of sin. This enslavement, this brokenness of our spirit, this brokenness of our soul, this brokenness in the way we thought led us to rebellion against God. It led us into a lifestyle of sin. And God demands payment from rebels, the payment for our penalty. There's a fine for breaking God's law. Our lives are forfeit before God because of the sins which we have committed, both you and I. We stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. But Peter says you've been freed through Christ. Jesus is the one who paid my debt. The reason we this cross stands on the stage almost every Sunday of the year, unless for some crazy reason we've got to move it, is because we always want to be remembered that the freedom in which we stand is not just because of that flag over there on the right side of the stage, but it's because the Savior hung on this cross and paid for your sins, and paid for my sins, and the penalty that was mine, that came due, that I owed to God, was redeemed, was bought back by Jesus, and he paid the price for me. So what is my response? My response is to see myself living as a servant of God. In Green Tree, if you look at our, if you look at our, our, our mission statement, it talks about serving God in joyful obedience. That's, that's how we define it here at Green Tree that we live in joyful obedience. Our response to God's grace is not to try to earn our way into heaven, but simply to rejoice and give thanks and give glory to God and understand that he now calls us to be his representatives in this day, in this age. So we gladly take up the mantle of discipleship. This new life, this new freedom brings an opportunity to live in service of our gracious Father. I don't want to let the morning go without, without at least calling attention to one great patriot. But the great patriot to whom I'm going to speak uh, in just a moment is not actually a great patriot of the United States. Rather, he was a great patriot of the, the, the nation of Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, maybe you've read some of his works, uh, was a pastor, was a theologian. He was a seminary instructor. 
uh, and he lived in Germany in the time when the Nazis came to power. And uh, Bonhoeffer was one of the best minds, uh, theological minds, and probably one of the best minds in Germany. Uh, and the Nazis began to, to shut him out. They began to, to silence him. And, and he was part of a movement called the Confessing Church. And in the early 30s into the mid-30s, Bonhoeffer and others around him worked to try and continue to proclaim the gospel. They had to do it more subtly. They had to kind of do it from house to house. They couldn't be as public as they used to be. Uh, and in the late 1930s, it was clear where the direction of Nazi Germany was going. And so some of those uh, folks who were in the German resistance actually got Bonhoeffer out of the country, and he came to the United States. And in 1939, Bonhoeffer settled into New York. Uh, he was going to, to do some work at a, at a seminary there uh, in New York City called uh, Union Seminary. And he'd been there several months, and his heart came under great conviction about his citizenship. Not a citizenship in heaven, uh, but a citizenship, yes, in heaven, but how it applied to his particular situation. And so he wrote to Reinhold Niebuhr, who's a great friend of his, uh, and, and actually a native Missourian, by the way. Uh, he wrote to Niebuhr in, uh, in June of 1939, and, and here's just a brief excerpt of his letter. I've come to the conclusion that I am making a mistake, or I have made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through the difficult period of our na- national history with the people of Germany. I, have, I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share in the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will have to face a terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of their nation in order that the Christian civilization may survive or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying civilization. I know which of these alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make that choice from security. After he had finished that letter, he actually was on the very last ocean liner that traveled between the United States and Germany. And so and later in 1939, he returned to Germany and began again his ministry to get involved. And those of you that know uh, Bonhoeffer's story know that in 1943, he was arrested by the Gestapo and he was placed first in a jail uh, and then in a, in a, in a more uh, sparse prison and eventually in a concentration camp. And a lot of you may know that one month before uh, the, the Russians occupied Berlin and, and about a month before uh, the, the Germany capitulated and Europe was set free, uh, Bonhoeffer was executed for his faith in Christ. He was in his uh, cell. He was stripped naked along with five other men. And he was led to the gallows where he was hung by his neck with a thin piano-like wire. He gave the ultimate sacrifice his life, because first he was a citizen of heaven. And secondly, he knew the importance of being a disciple, citizen, the nation of Germany. The camp doctor who witnessed this execution wrote the following. I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed a few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Friends, with our freedom comes great responsibility. We are called the servants of God. And in this day and in this generation, in this age, We are called to use our citizenship in heaven to uh, give what we know of our experience with Christ to those 
around us? Are we taking advantage of the opportunity that God has given us? My last observation here is that, that Peter sums up all of his conversation that he's given us so far by simply uh, defining the disciple citizen. Four statements. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Uh, it's, almost, you know, it's, it's pretty much self-explanatory. Honor everyone simply means that as, as Christ called us to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and our neighbor is ourself. We're called to give everyone respect. We're called to care for others around us, no matter who they are. But in particular, we're called to care for the, the, the kingdom of God. We're called not to neglect our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to make sure that we're caring for our immediate community. And we do so in the fear of God out of respect out of a sense of awe of this grace in which we stand. The majesty of God motivates us to a citizenship that brings glory to him. And so therefore we we, we honor the emperor, reflects our civil life, reflects our submission uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There's a lot of debate in our country about what it means to be a good citizen these days. Uh, There are a lot of people that would say, you know, that there ought to be a, a separation of not just church and state, so to speak, in, in those terms, uh, but you ought to leave your faith at the door when you enter into the public arena of debate. Uh, I want to suggest to you that's the last and the worst thing that you should possibly consider doing. Uh, J.I. Packer has written a book recently called Knowing Christianity. Uh, Packer talks about what it means to be uh, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, and a citizen uh, of this nation. So I'm just going to read uh, a little bit of that as we Uh, close our sermon and our teaching time this morning. Packer writes the following, service to others is a Christian priority. It is interesting that those whose citizenship in heaven make the best citizens in any state, democratic or totalitarian, Christian or pagan. Civic obligation is emphatically commanded alongside the obligation to serve God. And then he quotes our passage this morning from Peter, fear God and honor the king. And as Paul said, to submit to those governing authorities. As Sir Frederick Catherwood, Vice President of the European Parliament, said, to try and improve society is not worldliness but love. To wash your hands of society is not love but worldliness. The New Testament does not speak about active political participation for a good reason that there was not this option in the first century for believers. The Roman Empire was not a democracy, and most Christians were not even Roman citizens. Present-day representative democracy, however, opens the door to a wider range of political possibilities and requires of us more in the way of responsible commitment than Christians of New Testament times. What should the Christian citizen do and be? Keep informed. Otherwise, you cannot judge well about issues. Vote well for candidates. Pray well for rulers. Political ignorance is never a Christian virtue. Pray for those in power, as 1 Timothy 2 directs us. The secret effectiveness of prayer is enormous. Vote in elections and referendums, whether expressions of public opinion are called for. Be led voting by issues rather than personalities and not by single issues viewed in isolation, but your vision for the total community welfare. And this way you are, can exert the influence in the world of being salt and light. Seek political influence by debating, writing, and working within the political party in which you nearest agreement. However, uh, it is desirable that lay people with political interests should be encouraged to see the gaining and exerting of political influence as a field of Christian service alongside the fields of church and life and worship and witness and be willing to accept a political vocation. 
Biblical history shows that God wants some of his servants as professional politicians leading and shaping society. The choice of being in politics is costly. You must be prepared to work hard with patience, humility, tolerance, and integrity. You must be willing to ride rebuffs and work for the public good rather than your own. But the result of good leadership can radically change the lives of individuals in a most profound way. Uh, at the end of the day, what, what Packer is doing, I think, is simply mirroring the attitude of the Lord Jesus, who is, of course, the best and most perfect citizen of heaven, who sacrificed everything he had so that we this morning who call on his name can enjoy that citizenship and can live as his disciples in this day, in this age, and in doing so, serve and minister and care for a nation that I know all of us love dearly. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, again, I pray this morning that we would not uh, boast in, in our own citizenship in heaven, but rather that we would remember that it is by grace that we have been saved. This is an act of faith. It's not an act of duty or work or responsibility. We're simply responding to the gift that you have given us. And in doing so, Father, I pray that, that part of that picture would include the way in which we live in our civil lives that we would be active, that we would be involved, that we would be seeking to represent the kingdom of God in a way that brings glory to him, in a way that nourishes and serves and feeds our nation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. I'm Tom Warner. I'm one of the elders here at Green Tree. And as believers, we have the privilege to come before the throne of God at any time, day or night, and to know that God hears us and He will respond as a father hears his children and responds to his children. So let us exercise that privilege this morning. We're going to spend the next few minutes praying for our nation, for our community, and for ourselves. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pause as a nation and as the people of God today to remember the signing of a document that started our nation with such great promise. We remember that you are the nature's God referred to in that great declaration and that you are the same today as you were 200 years ago and that you are the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. So we come to you this morning with our praise, our petitions, and our confession. We have to first acknowledge that our petitions are great this morning because our needs are great. We find ourselves fighting two wars. We read every day of an ecological disaster. We have an economy in the doldrums. Currencies and housing and stock values are all in doubt. People lack work and opportunity. We have a budget out of balance, and we have a fractious government in which contention is constant, and these needs are just the beginning. And yet you, Lord, have all we need as a nation. The psalmist reminds us that nations may furiously rage together, people may plot, 
Kings may conspire, but they do so in vain because you are our sovereign. And you laugh at these things. You shatter men's petty plans like so much pottery. So we come to you on behalf of our nation and our leaders. We may have great needs, but you are a great God. So we pray, Lord, this morning for President Obama. We pray that he may know your will and that he may have the courage and the grace to follow it. We ask you, please, to lift him above the claims of personal politics. Fill him with your Holy Spirit to make him seek what is right and make him fearless to do it. Save him from friends and advisors who would persuade him to leave your path for expediency. But we ask you to bring him and them to their knees in prayer. We pray now, Lord, for our Congress. We ask you please to give them wisdom and courage. Deliver them from selfish ambition and from stubborn pride. Allow them to work together for the good of the nation. Forgive them their blunders. Give them courage to admit their mistakes. We pray for our courts. We ask for our judges and our justices that you would give them the wisdom of Solomon. Let them be just judges who are not moved by money or race or power or status or anything else, but who fear you alone. We bring before you the men and women of our armed forces. Strengthen them in their trials and temptations. Give them courage for the perils they face. Give them a sense of your abiding presence with them in their time of need. We pray for our state and local leaders. Lord, we pray that you would care for our leaders in our communities in Kirkwood and Glendale and De Pere and in far-off places like St. Albans and Ladue, that they would serve well. And now we pray for our nation. You blessed America. You made her rich. Will you also make her good? Make us the citizens of America want to do the right things, to love the widow and the orphan and the alien, to love justice and to do mercy. Bless this land that we love so much and help us to put our trust not in armies or navies or technology or wealth or all those fleeting ideas and institutions, but in you alone. And finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves. The problems are of our world, our nation, our communities begin with us. And we confess that wrong ideas and sinful living cut us off from you. In our self-concern, we pass by the needs of others. And in our self-sufficiency, we do not ask for your help. We ask, Lord, for your forgiveness. We ask, Lord, for changed hearts. We ask that we may live as people who have been forgiven a great debt. That we may live as people who change, want to change, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our communities. That we may live as people who are free, who have taken responsibility. We know that our liberty is not the right to do what we want, but the opportunity to do what is right. And we ask, Lord, that we may see it and do it. 
Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.